Good morning. Welcome to this roundtable. Glad you're here. Those of you uh, joining us online, welcome. Glad you're with us also. It's spring break, and uh, Phil is on spring break this week. Somehow he gets to continue to do that, even though his children are grown and out of the house. But uh, Phil spring break. Phil's on spring break. He, he, gets to, he gets to do that. Perfect. Ronan, I was just talking about uh, going up to Tim Atkinson's memorial service uh, Saturday. And uh, I, it was it was a uh, it was a beautiful ceremony that Denise put together, and I'm so glad that that I had the opportunity to go. Walter Walford went, Scott Simpson, uh, Jack Page, and and uh, Phil and I. And in the conversation riding up with uh, Phil, uh, Walter was kind of prying with Phil and asking about his schedule. And I got to tell you, after listening to what his typical week is like. He needs a week off every now and then. I, I'm, it, it is amazing what he does and how he continues to do what he does. He and Carla both. Uh, and with that, let me say that we've got uh, Deer Camp coming up April 9th through 11th. If you have not been to a Deer Camp and would like to participate, please go online to the BPO webpage. You can sign up there. Also, next week, Two Gun Tactical at uh, Tuesday night, I believe it is, 630, I think. Let me look right quick to be sure I'm right about that. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, 630 to 830. Walter Wofford will be sharing. Yeah. Hey, Walter, glad you're here. Um, he's going to be giving a, a little bit of a, a story on his COVID-19 infection. Uh, you know, we continue in the protocol of, of socially distancing and doing what we need to here and masking up and, and those kind of things. Uh, and, and Jeff and I were talking a few minutes ago, follow the science, follow the science. Well, I'm not a scientist. I'm an engineer. I follow numbers. I know the math, Mississippi, sales. you're a sales guy. Mississippi has 3 million people, 300,000 infections. 10% of our population has been infected. A little over 3000 deaths little over two tenths of our population has succumbed to COVID. So you say less than 10% of our people have had COVID. Walter had it. Walter was pronounced at the end of life at least twice. And he's got a remarkable story to share with you. I heard a little bit of it when we were driving up on Saturday. So if you have not visited with Walter and not familiar with that story and what he's gone through, uh, if you think you might be prepared, to go for four months without being able to continue in your business or do those things that you normally do, you might want to talk to Walford or come by Two Gun Tactical next week. He experienced that. It's a life-changing experience, I know, for Walter, and he shared it with Phil and I, and it has, it has certainly opened my eyes. With that, let me open us with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to gather here. Thank you so much for being and his members here at Vertical Church for opening this facility up for us to be able to gather here. It's such a great day to be able to join back with my brothers here. Thank you for the technology, for those that are online and for those that will watch later in the recorded message. I thank you for Jeff and Jeff bringing us together through the technology. Thank you for Chris for doing the handout. Lord, I ask that you would anoint Roan this morning as he fills in for Phil. Let him share your word. May we all be blessed. In your name we pray. Amen. Good morning, guys. Um, 
as we are always want to do, uh, we're going to start our time with a song. Uh, on the handout, um, the, the the lyrics are right, but I think when we do the video, you'll you'll see that um, it's not a dude that's singing this song. <laughs> Uh, it's not Mark Allen. Uh, it's actually Lauren Daigle. Um, and, and the song is Hold On. Um, uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, this idea of holding fast. Uh, and so I think this song kind of fits. It ties in. So hit it, Jeff. When the best of me is barely breathing When I'm not somebody I believe in Hold on to me When I miss the light the night is stolen When I'm slamming all the doors you've opened Hold on to me Hold on to me Hold on to me when it's too dark to see you When I am sure I have reached the end Hold on to me
So today we're going to continue um, our look at uh, the book of Joshua and the man, Joshua. The book of Joshua is the book of conquest. The battlefield is Canaan, and it is where God keeps his promise that he made with Abraham. In this study, we'll use the land possessed by Joshua and the people of Israel as a metaphor to understand how we take possession of what it means to be a Christian man. We will examine 10 issues that men face every day. Each day is a battle to be faced with courage, strength, and faith. You must be courageous, will you? You know, I, I love the book of Joshua. I mean, it, that, it's, I, think, I think I would call it the man book of the Bible, right? Man, Joshua, is, uh, he's, a, he's a warrior. And, I mean, he just kicks everybody's butt, and it, it's just great. Um, certainly, uh, with God's direction and God's help. But every time I think in terms of just, you know, great military leaders, the one that always pops come to my mind is uh, General George Patton. And um, I don't know, that movie came out, uh, I think, uh, some of you guys are young. You don't even know who Patton is. I see some gray hair. Thank God. You know who it is. Uh, but I remember that movie, uh, and I went to see that movie when I was probably, I think it was like 72 or something like that. So, I mean, somewhere between 10 and 12 years old, whenever that movie came out. And, and I remember just being absolutely fascinated with uh, General Patton. Uh, it's a great movie. Uh, George C. Scott won the Academy Award, and I think it was Best Picture. Uh, it would that would not happen today, by the way. Uh, uh, and so, I, I actually read uh, as a little boy a couple of books about him and his life. And so, I don't know. Uh, it's kind of like Phil's fascination with, you know, Navy SEALs. Uh, I just, you know, Patton has always been uh, someone that that I certainly. Uh, as a little boy, was like, man, he, he's the man. Uh, he is also an eight on the Enneagram, and I am an eight on the Enneagram. So maybe that's the connection. I don't know. Um, Jeff, uh, show that little clip, uh, just a short little clip from the movie Patton. pays off the training and the discipline no other outfit in the world pull out of a winter battle move a hundred miles go into a major attack with no rest no sleep no hot food god god i'm proud of these men that love that music um i uh, i just i have a few quotes uh from general Patton. um 
and I'm just gonna I'm just gonna read them um, and and thinking in terms of what's a great leader, right? Because that's what Joshua was to to do what he did to lead the men that he led. Uh, Joshua was probably one of the greatest, certainly military leaders, and one of the greatest leaders in history. Moral courage is the most valuable and usually the most absent characteristic in men. Good leaders encourage their subordinates to always act with integrity. The second one. And think in terms of where we are today in our culture, in our institutions, in our organizations, as I just read these. If everybody is thinking alike, then somebody isn't thinking. Good leaders don't want to hear from yes men. Never tell people how to do things. Tell them what to do, and they will surprise you with their ingenuity. People hate to be micromanaged. Do everything you ask of those you command. Patton led his soldiers by example. His troops knew he was more than willing to personally get into the fight. Do more than is required of you. The bare minimum amount of work didn't cut it for Patton. He said, an army is a team. It lives, sleeps, eats, and fights as a team. This individual heroic stuff is pure horseshit, he said. Now I'm just I'm I'm just I'm quoting Patton, right? I, I I didn't say that. That's what he said. I'll probably get canceled, right? Patton got canceled. I mean, really, one of the first examples of of woke culture was the canceling of Patton after he slapped two little soldiers that were afraid to go back into battle. Today he'd probably get court-martialed and hung right? But I think Patton's in good company. Jesus got canceled. Cancel culture goes way back. Paul got canceled. Man, we, you know, we start going down the list, right? Because when you, when you take a stand and you begin to live out this stuff, uh, people are going to get pissed off. Jesus was not a nice guy. They don't take nice guys up on a hill, drag them up there, beating them, and nail them on a cross and kill them. And so this idea of leadership and why Joshua was able to do what he did is so critical. And so this morning, I'm just going to talk about uh, what I believe is Joshua's theology, right? Uh, today, uh, when we talk about theology, we think in terms of you know, doctrine and, and what the church teaches and what denominations believe and all that. And that's certainly a theology uh, of an institution or an organization, but it is not a theology uh, of who you are as a man, your personal theology. And it's important that we reconcile that in who we are as we attempt to follow and walk with God. And so 
Joshua's famous quote, uh, one of his, there's so many passages in Joshua that are just fantastic. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Uh, it's a powerful and noble declaration. Uh, what it really means is not really so obvious, right? Because I think we probably have all said that. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And then we just fail miserably, um, or we know many that have. Uh, to know how Joshua intended to serve God, we're going to take a look today at kind of what I believe is the foundation of Joshua's theology, his personal theology, uh, and it's verse 22.5. If we want to be one of those who can stand uh, with Joshua and declare our service to God, we first really have to know what does he mean when he says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Well, in 22.5, he actually tells us, verse 22, or chapter 22, verse 5, to love the Lord your God. And again, just think of that first part when they asked Jesus, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? What did Jesus say? Well, love the Lord your God. And Joshua continues, and walk in all his ways, and keep his commandments, and hold fast to him, and serve him with all your heart, and with all your soul. Well, Jesus, what's the greatest command? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you know, that second one is like the first one. Love others as you love yourself. And kind of philosophy logic, if, if you ever took philosophy or, you know, the, the logic in that statement that Jesus made is built on the foundation of the last phrase, love yourself. And that's what Joshua is talking about here. Because until we figure out who we are, until we figure out our own values, until we get our integrity sorted out, if we just go to serve without having those things lined up, we're going to flame out, burn out, crash out, and it's going to be a disaster. It, in in my work, um, I mean, I and just over the years being involved in church, you know, there's so many men that get called to ministry, and. I don't believe that they've got these things worked out because I've sat with and I've seen so many that have crashed out, flamed out, burned out, and the ripple effect of that and how it affects the body of Christ is tragic. And oftentimes that call is some type of neediness or codependency that they've never resolved. And then it's a I've got many words I could put into that because the damage and the hurt and what they do to the kingdom of God. It's a higher calling. So we're going to start, and I just, I'm just going to break this down, um, and, and we're going to look at kind of each one of these um, uh, love, walk, keep, clean, which is the whole fast, and serve, right? And, and you got to look at the order of this, because in 
in churchianity, uh, man, you know, first thing they want you to start doing is uh, you, you got to serve. <laughs> and that's backwards. So the first one, love God. And and we're just we're gonna look at the the Hebrew words and the meaning behind each one of these because words have meaning and they frame our reality. And our English language oftentimes just does not do justice to what the writer was intending. Um I I, I I'm just amazed at times when you start digging into this stuff and you read it from the original text of what it was, what they were trying to convey. And it's like, holy cow, that's just completely different than what it says in my English language translation. So the first one, love, love the Lord your God. The Hebrew word is ahav. Ahav expresses a passionate desire to be fully united with another in every aspect of living, both inwardly and outwardly. There's a passion there, right? I mean, it, it really is this idea of like passionate love. I mean, in the, in the, the mystics of the Catholic faith, the, no, uh, I looked at Jeff when I said that, uh, man, some of the writings uh, of those Catholic mystics, uh, was scandalous because they talked about their passionate, intimate love of Christ. And it was mm, almost sexual. And I mean, they, they kind of banned those writings. They didn't promote it. That's for sure. Because it was like, Oh, that's just a little too much. Right. Guys, that passionate, the desire of the burning heart to be united in union and communion with Christ is what it takes if we're going to be able to serve and be a warrior like Joshua. It is intentional relationship. Uh, this verb is only found in relationship, whether it's between two people or in a community. The direction is always towards another, expressed in real actions, not merely feelings. It is intentional benevolence on behalf of another person. Well, again, the word ahav uh, gets translated, uh, in, and you've probably heard sermons preached and taught on agape, right? The different forms of love. Well, that's Greek. You know, agape, philos, uh, filio, eros, the, the different forms of love. Well, agape means unconditional love, right? That's what we've all been taught, um, and that's the Greek word. Well, that was the closest word they could get to this idea of aha. And, and I would say the difference is it's not unconditional love, right? Even when you say that, I know when I say it, when I was kind of even working through this, I go, unconditional love. That's just like, oh, I love everybody. Oh, I love you. I love you. Hmm. Man, that's so lame, right? It's, it's intentional love. It's the idea that love is a choice. 
I mean, Jesus chooses to love us even in our sin and our stupidity. Man, that's intentional. That's not just unconditional. And by the way, I don't know. In my Bible, it says that uh, there were some conditions on this kind of walking with God thing, right? I mean, Jesus said, narrow is the gate. <laughs> he says at some point, depart from me. I never knew you. Now, that doesn't, that, I, that doesn't sound like unconditional love. <laughs> I mean, we got to live in reality with this stuff. But it, it seems to me, um, uh, in, and I'm safe in saying this in this church, because I've had many conversations with Ben about this kind of feminization of our culture. And the, the thing that it seems we're trying to produce in church is mostly nice, sweet men. And guys, that is why I believe that our culture has just gone to hell in a handbasket. We, we've, taken, we've taken ministry out of us, and we've started paying people to do it. That's a problem. That creates, I call it conversion Christianity. Um, I've got a quote here from, I've been working with a book uh, called The Kingdom Life, A Practical Theology of Discipleship and Spiritual Formation. Uh, it's a series of writings and essays. Uh, Dallas Willard is one. Uh, several. Uh, there's a lot of just uh, people that are, that are some of the most, I guess, the greatest thought leaders around discipleship and spiritual formation. And, and the quote from the book, talks about conversion Christianity versus discipleship Christianity. In, the, in our evangelical world today, um, the question, you know, is, is always, is he saved, right? And, and it's, if you, were, if you were going to die tonight, you know, would you go to heaven? That, that's conversion Christianity, because like, Okay, um, I don't know, I guess, no, what do I do? Okay, here's Jesus. Okay, good. Now I've got my fire insurance. And that's kind of simplified, but boy, that's a lot of what is promoted and taught in church. The evangelical Christian world with its conversion-centered gospel has by and large produced passive masses of Christians instead of transformational missional disciples two very very different paradigms right one is a paradigm of growth uh, i believe in our men's community roundtable deer camp all these groups everything that we do we talk a lot about the path of growth rather than just you know come to jesus and and learn some more about jesus get some more knowledge that's kind of the typical path, at least my experience uh, in, in church world. Oh, wait, no, we, we also want you to serve because we need people to do all this stuff. We don't have enough people. Mm. And that's why it is, you know, five miles wide and a quarter inch deep, 
used to be an inch deep. It's getting more shallow. Discipleship Christianity, if you knew you were going to live forever, what kind of person, what kind of man would you like to become? What kind of person, who, what would you like to be? If, so think about that. If This is discipleship. This is the question we should be asking. If you knew you were going to live forever, what kind of person would you like to become? This is growing towards Christ-likeness. It's not a one-and-done deal. This is, this is a forever deal. Jesus said, if you want to go to heaven, go now. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Once we follow Jesus, we're now living in eternity. I always say, as Dallas Willard uh, said, I think when I die, it may be some time before I actually know it, right? We're here. It's now. Action. When Joshua exhorts his listeners to love the Lord, he's not encouraged, encouraging this private inward sentiment. Again, guys, we've got to begin to think deeper about, man, what is love? And that word is so misused and abused, right? I mean, is it a Hollywood romance movie, love? Is it, is it just uh, peace, love, you know, 1960s love? What, what, what's love? You know, the, the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, I mean, Paul tells us, right? Uh, you know, love is patient. Love is kind. Love is da-da-da-da-da. And love is hard. And love is tough. And love ain't easy when it's real. I sit with marriages every day, and it's like, you know, I, one of our favorite books that we recommend quite often is Gary Thomas's book, Sacred Marriage. The book Sacred Marriage uh, is is excellent if you haven't read it. The thing I love most about it is the subtitle. God did not give us marriage for our happiness. He gave us marriage for our holiness. Marriage is the crucible. I mean, yeah, you know, I'm married. It, it ain't easy. We've been married be 40 years next year. Holy cow. Um, plus five. We've dated before, before, you know, all that good stuff. And, man, if you're not practicing intentional love, your marriage is doomed. You may still be together after 40 years, but you ain't going to like each other. It's the saddest thing to me. I, I, even I are in this season of life with, like, man, I don't, I don't see – Young guys, it's like, you know, when you're in your 30s and you got kids and stuff and activities and all that. And, I mean, we sit with that, too. And I just go, I, I, I don't know how you do it. We, we survived it. You know, you'll survive it. But, man, survive it and, and get intentional about your marriage because, man, the empty nest season, holy cow. Like, if you actually love and like each other, now you got a little ability to do something. You can travel and, and have fun, right? I mean, I love my kids. My, well, my, my two grown sons and my two daughter-in-laws uh, and my little grandbaby girl. But, boy, we did, man, hang on. Do the work. Love. Love is a choice. Action. 
It's impossible to love God and mistreat his community. To withhold from another follower any action or affection that, that would be appropriate for service and worship of God is to deny your love for him. And, and in this, the Hebrew idea, like it's, it's directed to the community, the followers, the believers, uh, the, the people of God, right? And, and you know, we kind of think that like we just got to go you know, be nice and sweet and codependent and we got to, you know, try to get everybody to come to Jesus. And well, there's also where Jesus talks about this idea of, you know, casting your pearls before swine. And Jesus told the disciples, go out, beat on the doors, right? And if they don't listen, you shake the dust off your sandals and you keep moving. Jesus is looking for followers, fully devoted followers of him, not nominal Bible belt, everybody goes to church kind of Christians. And then hypocrisy, you know, like if you just go to church and that's your deal, well, just just tell people you go to church. Don't don't tell them that you're a Christian because it, if we're not loving well, if we're not if there's not action tied to this these words, it's meaningless. And so many people look at the way Christians live, so-called Christians, and there's like, and I'm only part of that. But if if it was a community, a movement, a people of God, they're actually living it out, and not just lip service. It'd probably be different. We wouldn't have to have evangelism programs because the people of God would be attractive people in the world would look at us and go, holy cow, I don't know what that guy's smoking, but I want some, right? That's the goal. You know, and I, I mean, our men's community, as we call it, uh, certainly Deer Camp, our affectionate name, you know, one of the things that I tell a guy often when I'm trying to, you know, it, it's the hardest thing in the world to get a guy to come to that. Those of us that that start asking a guy to come, you know, I think the average is probably two years or something, maybe five. It's like you got to beat him with a stick, you got to threaten him with a gun, you got to sometimes tie him up and, you know, zip time and hog time and duct tape him and to get him up there. Because, you know, word kind of gets out like, I, I don't want to go up there and talk about my life. Holy cow. I go to deer camp because, yeah, I want to get drunk and shoot something. And that's why we trick them, right? Guys in Mississippi will come to that. I'm all in. And then they get there and we take their keys um, so they can't leave because they'll figure out, oh, crap. But one of the things that I always tell a guy is like, man, I, I think if you come, one of the things that you're going to see and experience is the true love of the brethren. Man, it there's there's an infectiousness there, right? When you're around it, you can feel it. You know when it's genuine. And man, there's guys on that deck that like we just do life together. And there's a love there that's greater 
than that of a woman, as David said of Jonathan. It's real. It's not perfect. <laughs> We're not perfect. But man, I don't know if I've ever experienced uh, a deeper, true love and intimate relationships than I experience with these guys that I do life with. Again, I said intimate. That has nothing to do with sex. Sex and intimacy are two very different things. So let's look at the other parts of Joshua's theology. Uh, I broke down love a little bit because I think foundationally that's the one that everything hinges on, right? Because if that's not right, and then if I'm trying to do this other stuff out of some obedience or duty or because that's what I'm supposed to do, it, it doesn't end well. It's got to be motivated by love. Walk, the Hebrew word is yalak. It's a metaphor for an approach and an attitude towards life. We don't think about our spiritual lives as pathways of emotions. In churchianity, we often get stuck at the rational rest stop, exercising our minds with theological arguments and doctrinal debates. But that's not really how we live, is it? Life comes with fear, joy, grief, sorrow, excitement, gladness, hope, discouragement, gloom, and dozens and dozens of other emotional reactions and iterations. If your walk with God cannot handle these ups and downs, it's just not going to go well. And what we need is a theology of emotions. You know, us men have a hard time even knowing that we do have emotions. Right. I always tell guys, I, I'm not, I, I just want you to be aware that you have emotions and that they're there. I'm not trying to get you to go emote everywhere, right? Because you go home, you start doing that all the time and crying and all that. Man, your wife's going to kick you in the, well, she ain't going to like it at some period of time. Keep, the Hebrew word is shamar. It can also be translated to preserve, to guard, to carefully watch over, and to pay regard to. But behind each one of these possible translations is the question, why? Why do I keep the God's commands? I'm not inclined to complete the action required unless I'm motivated by something more compelling than obedience or compliance. When it comes to his commands, the purpose is fellowship with him. It always is. And Jesus affirms it. If you love me, love first, you will keep my commands. You'll be able to do it. It's got to come from the passionate, burning desire of life with him. And then the next piece is glue. The Hebrew word is davak. Uh, it means to hold fast. Hold on, stick, stickiness. It 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 is a it's such a it's a powerful word. We're first introduced to the word in Genesis two twenty four. Um, I think we probably are familiar with that passage. Um, let me just read it. Uh, Genesis two twenty four. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother 
and be joined to his wife. Who's God talking to there? Is he talking to the wife? Who's he telling to be joined? To devot. That's where the word comes in. He's telling us. Cling to your wife. In particular, directly, husbands are to do this. And this should tell us a little bit something. This tells us, uh, us men in our temptations. It seems especially appropriate in our contemporary view of serial marriage, one partner after another. Too often the glue is dissolved with an application of male adultery, including pornography. It is a plague on our culture. The actual dilution began a long time before the divorce. But God does not waver or falter. He remains the faithful partner in spite of all of our struggles. And then serve comes last. It's not the priority in Joshua's theology. It is a it is a word for for worship, uh, for work. Uh, it is it is all encompassing. It is like God's economy. But what we've done with vocational ministries, we've separated ministry from us into the paid professional, right? It's kind of like charity. That used to be a Christian virtue. Now it's a government program. This separating out these different aspects of who we are as followers of God has done a lot of damage. So we're going to show just a little clip. I think it's about eight or nine minutes, so we should be good. Um, and I think I've actually shown this before. Um, uh, it's a panel discussion with uh, Dallas Willard in uh, uh, like uh, three business guys. And they're talking about this idea of ministry and vocational ministry. So let's watch this video. Yeah, and then to John, sort of to your point about your, your having your dad as a pastor uh, and not feeling called to the ministry, I would suggest that if, if we view business in the same way, Dallas, that you've described, you actually were called to the ministry. It's just your arena of service happened to be in business rather than in the local church. I think that's, that's the way I'd like to hear, hear us uh, talk we, about we've, that. We've got to come back and talk about this idea of full-time Christian service, mm -hmm. which is one of the worst things that gets hung on Christians. Yeah. Like you're not in full-time Christian service. Well, that's a terrible piece of news, isn't it? <laughs> it, it was. <laughs> but you are, of course. I, I think but that's what you learn. That's what I've learned over the years. Yes. That's not what I was taught. Right. Right? Right. And, but unfortunately, what you were taught is the governing idea. Yeah. Even in our churches. Yeah. And I think that's unfortunate because if that we would be taught that we are in full-time Christian ministry. Absolutely. I think you have a much more powerful churches in general because people oh, in would. the pews will realize, yeah. wow, I'm part of all this. I'm not a bystander. Right. And just, uh, you know, 
hearing this on Sundays, and then I got to go do my things on Monday. That's right. But, you know, we have to understand the Bible begins in Genesis 1, not Genesis 3. <laughs> yeah. The problem is not sin. Yeah, I think per persuading business That's people that, that their, their work is not a part of the curse of sin is sometimes a challenge. Bill, I know this, this whole thing frustrates you too, this disconnect, the sort of the church on Sunday, work on Monday disconnect, and business people feeling like they're doing something less than for God's kingdom than people who are drawing a paycheck from a church or another Christian organization. I know you've, you've written about that and are yeah. passionate about well, that. Well, I, I mean, I think we've commented on it eloquently here. I, 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 uh, it, has a, it has a long historical base. I mean, there's a reason why we talk about the clergy and the lay. Both, both words I wish we would just extinguish from the language. Uh, but uh, there's a reason why the platforms is up. It's up and the congregation is down. I mean, it, it, all, of this, all of this is historical. Uh, and and uh, I don't think it is biblical. Now, you have to forgive me. Uh, I was raised in the Plymouth Brethren tradition. So um, I'm strongly focused on the priesthood of the believer in my theology. Um, and... Um, so, so you, you, you understand if there's a bias, where the bias I'm coming from uh, with some of my expressions. But at the same time, um, I really resonate with what uh, Dallas and John have just said, that, um, you know, the time will come, I hope, when the pastor will say on a Sunday morning, we're going to have Bob and Mary come up today. We're going to pray for them they're going to the mission field tomorrow. Bob's going to business and Mary's going to work in a public school. And they're going to the mission field. That's where the world is that God so loves. And um, I, I, really, I really think that uh, that whole concept, as Dallas said, it goes beyond business. <laughs> Uh, it goes to the extension. To, to the way I view it is the extension of the church. And uh, one, of the, one of the great blessings that I've had in life is the, the solitude, the refreshment that I receive at church as part of encouraging me to face what I have to face on Monday morning. Although it hasn't been expressly said, it's been there because God's been working in my life as part of either the sermon I heard or as part of communion or what, whatever I've participated in. Uh, it has been a renewal for me on a Sunday. So I appreciate that, but I do think the recognition and the support is important. Um, I know we have several parachurch organizations represented here that are helping people who want to integrate the claims of their faith with the demands of their work. And that's important. But as I look at it from a business person's standpoint, you know, one of the reasons why businesses with good products fail is typically they don't have the channel to, 
to reach the customer. And if you think of it, um, today in the last 10 years, there have been over 1,000 parachurch organizations organized in the United States to help people integrate the claims of their faith with the demands of our, their work. And I just say, great, Some of them, most of them are doing a great job, but in fact those people that they're helping are sitting in the pew on Sunday, and we've already got the channel there. <laughs> so, so, you know, that's a, that's, as we step back and think of that, uh, that in my mind further reinforces the subject we're talking about today. Wow, wow, wow. So guys, we've got to develop our personal theology and we've got to get out on the battlefield and we've got to advance the kingdom of God. Love, walk, cling, keep, and serve. So let me pray. Father God, thank you. Um, for the freedom that we have even to uh, speak truth, to uh, speak your word. Um, and Lord, certainly uh, for the men that are here, those that um, are not, and uh, those are, that are listening, um, uh, Lord, we just um, are so grateful that you are a God of mercy. And Lord, uh, you remind us of that even each morning when you breathe life back into us and we wake up and uh, you are a merciful God in Jesus. We certainly acknowledge your presence uh, here with us. And for that, we are forever grateful um, for your love and your grace and all that you do in us, through us and for us. Amen. <laughs>